Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that we would be attentive to it, that our hearts would be soft and our ears would be open. God, we pray that your word would be effective in us. We confess we are often cold-hearted, hard-hearted towards you and one another. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear your word, not just with our ears outwardly, but our hearts would receive it. You would pierce us. You'd form us. And we would respond to your love with our own. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Paul, uh, in the book of Ephesians, is, uh, is doing something for us that is, is taking the entirety of the book. And I, I'm not going to stand up here and read the whole book of Ephesians for us. That would take quite some time. Uh, although a worthy exercise, if you, if you can. It's a letter, so read the whole letter at once. It's, uh, it's good. Paul does in Ephesians what he does in most of his letters. He starts with theology. He starts with what is right to believe and then he moves to what is right to do. And it's almost always in that order. It's important that it's in that order. And in the book of Ephesians specifically, it's almost drawn neatly in half. He'll spend almost exactly half the book talking about all it is that Christ has done for his people to make for himself a people. How he, by his grace alone, rescues people out of darkness and brings them into the light and makes for himself one people out of his own power, totally by his own choice and by his own miracle. And the book moves into its second half to then tell, for Paul to tell the people, this is what those people look like. This is what these people do. And in fact, in the preceding portion of chapter 4 that we didn't read, Paul tells us that he has made God has made one people one, out of one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We're all united into one. And he, he says we are made one body of one another. And so when we have put in our rule of life that we want to encourage you to bring other people into your spiritual life, what we are in essence doing is not telling you to do something special. We're basically just telling you to be a Christian. Because Paul has this understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. There is no version of following Jesus in Paul's mind in the life of the New Testament. There's no version of being a part of the people of God in all of Scripture where you get to do that alone. But we often have to fight against that to enter into the kind of community that Paul describes for us. And you can hear for Paul that there is no version of having right doctrine that does not result in a kind of communal or corporate family life. In the passage that we read, it says you, you've put away falsehoods. You know, the, the ideas of your mind, you've been moved to right doctrine, which is vital and important. That's why it's the first part of the book. And now the immediate response for Paul is that it takes on a corporate nature. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. It's an immediate turning to the neighbor. And what we want to encourage you to do is to make this neighborliness, this neighborly life, a real commitment of your spiritual life and understand that you cannot do this thing called following Jesus on your own. And if you're married and you think, well, I'm not on my own, I'm doing it with my spouse, 
that doesn't count either. It is an inter-household spiritual life. And this is a challenging call. And you can tell that Paul knows it because the very first thing that he warns against after he has told you to begin speaking the truth with your neighbors is be angry and don't sin. Paul's expectation is once you move close to other Christians and begin the life of speaking the truth with one another, you're almost certainly going to make one another angry. And his instructions following thereafter describe all the things that you are tempted to do as a living part of a community. His warnings are all interpersonal. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't slander one another. Don't let there be backbiting. Even the process of transformation that he describes. He says, you'll have thieves, but they will become people who work hard. And that life is not just for themselves. He says, why do they work hard? Because they can have more to give away to others. Everything that Paul expects to happen in you, he expects to happen flowing out of you. In relationship with other people. There is no version of following Jesus in the mind of God that does not involve the people outside of and around you. We have bought into what we believe is a lie that spirituality is my personal journey with God. It is my personal journey. And certainly following Jesus is inherently personal. But it cannot only be personal and be faithful to actively following Jesus. The kind of community that Paul invites us to here that we see described in Ephesians 4 and 5 that's sacrificial and, and pure and, and recon, reconciling and, and built around forgiveness and, and submission to one another, it is difficult. It is brutally difficult. And we, we know it. We've either know it by instinct or we've experienced. So we avoid what Paul describes in a couple different ways. One of them is to say, no thank you. Just period. I'm not going to do that. If I am, it is as a secondary thing. It is an accessory. This thing, the corporate body, the communal life, that is a secondary and optional and add-on thing that I may or may not need in my life. I will prioritize a number of things above being a part of the community life of a church. My personal preferences, the activities that I prefer, whatever it is, if it suits me, I will be a part of a church. When it stops suiting me, and the key word there is when, not if, when this difficult community life presses on me, then I will either move a half a mile down the road to a different offering on the buffet, or I'll just not come because this is not that important. This is what we are taught by our culture from the moment we are born, that we are on our own personal journey and we can become whatever it is that we want to become. I was taught this by good Christian parents for 18 years until I left their house. I was taught I could be, grow up and be whatever I wanted. 
My dad is a Chick-fil-A operator. Never one time did my dad say, my son will grow up and he will take my Chick-fil-A from me. He will fill my shoes. He never looked at me and said, this boy is destined to fry chicken. He never did. Probably for my own safety and of many others. What my parents said is, whatever you're gifted for, trained for, whatever you're good at, that is what you'll do. Which is entirely different than the whole world has done it for thousands of years. If your dad was a baker, guess what you're going to be? A baker. If your dad was a woodworker, guess what you would be? A woodworker. And there were no, you know, tests for abilities or discerning of what you care about. It was like, I'll tell you what you care about, the thing that you were born to. That's what you care about and that's what you will be. But we live in a world where the lid is taken off and I can be whoever I particularly want to be and we have brought that mentality into our spiritual life. I will be and do what it is I feel. And I will accept no constraints from others. And that kind of life is completely foreign to a community that Paul describes. There is no accountability there at all. If you want to live your life in those terms, that would even require you to be worried about slander or malice or backbiting or being hard-hearted. It's bothering you. Just leave. Just don't do it. So, one way we avoid Paul's community in Ephesians is never really participate. The other kind of avoidance is far easier and trickier. And it's what we often by default do. And it is to construct a community that looks just like us. The easiest version of avoiding Paul's commands is to put yourself in a community where you'll never be angry with anybody because everybody is you. You're never bothered by the immaturities of another person because the other person has the same immaturities as you. And look, we as the church largely struggle with this. You could go to almost any church in this valley, walk in the door and see, yep, they've sorted themselves pretty well, haven't they? Of course, there's, we can see it racially, but we can see it socioeconomically, education status, preferences and hobbies. So that even if you come in the door and there's like, oh, there's different kinds of, of groups of people here. Everybody self-sorts into groups of people that are just like them. And when you live that kind of segmented life where it doesn't ever require anything of you, Paul's command that you submit yourself to one another costs you nothing. Because all you're doing is submitting yourself to somebody who is you. And that kind of description of community is not at all countercultural. That is the kind of community that everybody by nature forms. What people think of when they think of the church is, it's basically a club. People have similar interests. And they think they're better than everyone. And Paul's description is, everybody's terrible. And everybody makes each other angry because basically they're so different from one another. There is a problem then. Why? Has the world received such a different message than what the church was meant to be? Why 
do we find as American Christians to find it so easy to live a spiritual life in community that makes community either optional or a softball? I can't explain all of the reasons why you individually might be tempted to that or, or why corporately we might all be. But I do know this, one of the real difficulties of committing to a life of communal Christian living is that we have seen so many ways that the church has been precisely the opposite of what is called to be in this passage. How many times have, have we seen the church be the example of unforgiveness. You know, Paul commands people to be tender-hearted with one another here in Ephesians 4. How many times have people experienced both in and outside the church Christians being hard-hearted? Paul in, in, in five, chapter 5 says, the church is the place where the darkness is unveiled. How many times has the, has the church bred darkness, hidden things, hidden things in the name of reputation, and so allowed the darkness not to be unveiled and destroyed, but to grow? We, unfortunately, have contributed to the avoidance of the kind of community that Paul describes. People have scars on their body and on their hearts of Christian community gone wrong. And so there's real fear. Some of it is fear of being uncomfortable, right? I just don't want to be in a community where the people will make me so angry all the time, where, where I have to spend so much time forgiving. I just, that is uncomfortable to me. I don't want to do that. Let's leave aside that kind of fear. Let's talk instead about the kind of fear where you see, I, I have seen the bad, I have experienced the bad, and I just cannot be a part of that anymore. I am barely hanging on here. I'm barely showing up. And I, I can't do much more than that. What Christians need, need to be able to confess is the thing that Paul confesses in the middle of this passage in Ephesians 5. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And where does he locate this love? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we see the wounding that the church has participated in and seen all the ways that we have proliferated the darkness... Our eye cannot be drawn to the sin that we see, but instead to the crucified God. We, we are unsurprised that Christian community is so difficult and, and often seemingly harmful and secretive because what we're confessing is that Jesus needed to die. It wasn't an optional thing. It wasn't like a, li a list of options were on the board and, and Jesus chose, well, I'll go ahead and die. That seems like a good one. Is that we needed Jesus to die. That the power of evil and sin and wickedness has not happened to all those other people out there in the world. We are the collection of the people who are saying, it's me. It's me. 
I'm the person that Jesus needed, needed to die for. It is a hundred out of a hundred chance that I will wound you, I will irritate you, I will disappoint you, I will speak badly about you either with my mouth or in my heart because I am the kind of person that Jesus needed to die for. That is how bad off I have been. And the good news is that he's done it. That the crucified God offered up his life for the people of the crucified God. We are the people who have sprung out of the split open side of Jesus Christ. We, we are marked by his blood because the only thing that would stop us from being at each other's throats is the crucified God. It is only Jesus that constitutes this community. It is only Jesus that sustains this community. And if you want to follow Jesus, this is what he's doing. As irritating as this group of people is, this is the plan. You may be looking around and saying, surely there's a better option. Nope, this is it. This is the whole plan, the church. And you can look at this and say, that seems like a bad idea. That seems like a really bad idea. And it is not because we're so good. Look, I am not up here pitching you, you should become a member of Valley Hope because I personally, in my preaching and in this church, I'm going to fix this whole thing. Absolutely not. No way. Our only hope in this church and in every church is Jesus Christ. And what we believe and what we confess is in the muck, in the frailty, in the failure, and our playing around with the darkness that we ought to expose. Even there, our confession is Jesus will complete what he's begun. He will. My hope for the church is not in me or a strategy or a resource. It is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. When I have sinned against you and you have sinned against me and we confess our sins to one another and we insist on reconciliation and tenderheartedness and kindness towards one another, we are not involved in some project of self-betterment. We are saying because Jesus died for me, he has brought me into this thing and my destiny is tied to him and to you. And it is because of him that I have hope and that our relationship can survive, and we can figure this out. And beyond that, we can come to a table together and have communion with God and with one another together. You need the kind of community that Paul is describing, and that's why it's God's plan. You were made for this kind of community that will annoy you and bore you and disappoint you and thrill you and care for you and forget about you and fail you again and again. Because God is working in the middle of this people for your good and for the good of the whole world. If you are here today and you have been in a life of avoidance. If, if, you, if you've said, look, church is nice, but there are lots of nice ch churches, and I'll kind of cruise 
to the to parts that I like from the various ones that I like, or I'll add on this as an accessory when I can. If you know that's you because you've been afraid of whatever or have not seen what God is offering to you, today is a day to re-examine and to change. The Christian word is, is repentance. Stop going that way. Go the right way. S slowly, but in the right direction. If you are here today and you know, you know what? I've constructed my whole life to just be around people that are just like me because it's more comfortable. God has something better on offer for you. More difficult, but better. You need that person who's older than you or younger than you, has a different education background or, 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 or a history with the law. Whatever it is, you need that person. And that person needs to intrude upon your life and you upon theirs. So if you've been living a life of comfort out of fear of what God might do in your discomfort, turn around and go a different way. Go the right way. And if you are here today and you have been abused by the church, if you have been wounded, harmed, forgotten, and failed, you need to know that the people who bear Jesus' name have never been as good as Jesus himself. And what has happened to you is wrong, deeply wrong. And he is more trustworthy than the people who've done that to you. The answer is not to run away, but to run to him. To let him speak to the wounds that only you know and may have kept hidden and let him put his hands on them and to heal you. That is what God wants to do for you personally, individually, and in the context of a group of people, a community of people who are together following this healing, self-sacrificial, tender-hearted Jesus. You too, whatever has happened in your past, either that you've done or has been done to you, you too can have hope that God can do this good thing in and for you. That you can live in a community who's marked not by drunkenness and anger, but by the song of God. It provokes from us all kinds of hymns and spiritual songs erupting from us as we tell the truth to one another. The great big truth that God has come close to us and has killed what destroys us for his own glory and our great, great, great good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that there's a place for us. And, and when we confess, God, we, we struggle to believe it. We, we struggle to receive it. We, we struggle to trust it. We have so many uh, questions or doubts. We have so many bad experiences in the room. And God, I pray that our hopes, the hopes of this people would not be hinged on the quality of the people in front of them, but would instead hinge on you. That you, the God who has sacrificed himself for our sake, 
would be shown to be trustworthy in our lives. Father, help us to trust you as we move into the community that you've called us. Father, we pray that you would help us to repent in the places we've run from you. Help us to be healed in the places where we've been wounded by your people. Father, we pray that you would complete this work, that you would make your bride, your body, clean and whole as soon as possible and carry us until that day comes when we know that you'll complete it. We thank you for this, Lord Jesus. Amen. At this